What's up, everybody? And on this special bonus episode of the Arts Effect podcast, we are joined by our October Giant Alumnus of the Month, award-winning jazz musician, composer, and arranger, Dr. Aaron Linkton. And by the way, it's a surprise. And what's up, everybody, and welcome to this episode, actually the special bonus episode of the Arts Effect podcast. Once again, my name is Ray LeVan, and I'm the very proud director of fine arts here in GCC ISD. And we actually have a extra special co-host with us today, our director of marketing, the world-renowned and internationally known Miss Kendall David. Say hi to the people, Kendall. Hey, everyone. And Mr. Levan, it's actually Director of Marketing and Community Engagement. So I'm super excited to be on the Arts Effect podcast. You ought to be. Don't get sassy. Don't get sassy. <laughs> you Don't get sassy with me. Excuse Always. Me. So, so one more time, one more time, Director of Marketing and Community Engagement. That's right. Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad that you're engaged already. Yeah. And we are welcoming our extra special guest today, a Goose Creek alumni, world-renowned jazz musician, Dr. Aaron Linkton. Welcome to the show, Dr. Linkton. Hey, Ray, how you doing? Kendall, great to see you guys. Doing great, doing great, doing great. So, you know, we're, we're featuring some of our alumni, and we're kind of talking about some great things that are happening in our school district and wanted to get your get your ideas on that. So just tell us a little bit about, about yourself, like your background. And one thing, especially what inspires you to begin in music to begin with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I'll give you sort of the, the Cliff Notes version of my background, just so it doesn't take too long. I, I was born in Houston in 1974. And uh, I grew up, uh, my, or I moved to Highlands when I was about five or six years old. And um, I did not go to kindergarten in Goose Creek School District. I was telling Kendall this the other day. I went to a private kindergarten out of a Methodist church out in the State Streets in Baytown where my, my grandmother taught out there at this church. I can't remember the name of the church. Uh, but then starting in first grade, I started over at BP Hopper Primary, which is right there in Highlands. And my parents still live in that same house in Highlands. And I went all the way through, you know, junior high school, Highlands Junior High, Sterling High School, graduated in 1993. And then I went to the University of Houston and I got a degree of music education, graduated in 1998, moved to Denton and I did a master's degree in jazz studies there in Denton, um, graduated in 2001. And then I did a doctorate degree in saxophone performance and graduated in 19, or excuse me, uh, 2005. And I was hired then from the University of North Texas. I was hired to move out to California to run the jazz program at San Jose State University, where I've been now. This is my 19th year. So uh, time really flies, but that's what brought me out to California from Texas. It, it really was a leap of faith. I, I have no family in California. And I had only, before I interviewed out here, I had only been to California one time on a, on a San Francisco airport layover. <laughs> I had I'd never really been anywhere in California, even even Disneyland or Disney, you know, in Texas, everybody goes to Florida, you know what I mean, you, you don't go to, to Disneyland out in, out in LA, you go to Florida. So uh, even as a little kid never did make any trips to California. So, um, but that's what I've been doing now last 19 years. And uh, to answer the, the other part of your question about what maybe 
if I understood the question right, like what made you really want to pursue this as a career, right? Well, uh, really, my question was what made, got you interested in it to begin with? Because, oh, you know, we always have those weird moments where, oh, that's pretty cool. Let me try and pick up an instrument. What was that moment with little Aaron that made yeah. you decide that, hey, I think I want to give this music thing a try? Yeah, I mean, you know, at Highlands Elementary and stuff, they had, you know, like general classroom music, you know, you sing, sing songs and whatever in the class. But my mom played some little bit of piano, you know, like she could play like some church little hymns and stuff like that. And she could play play a few things on a piano. We had an uh, we had an upright piano in our house. And uh, I would watch her play a little bit. And so she hooked me up with some piano lessons with you know, the the sort of uh, cliche, you know, little old lady, piano teacher lady there in Highlands, this this lady, I, I don't even remember her first name, Mrs. Elliot. That's I, I remember Mrs. Elliot. Wow. And uh, she, you know, that's how I kind of learned to read music, you know, just taking piano lessons when I was like, whatever, seven or eight years old. And I did that for a number of years until I got into the orchestra at Highlands Junior High. Uh, my next door neighbor in Highlands was a year older than me, and he played violin in the orchestra there with a guy named Joseph Whitehead. And um, so I was like watching him play violin. Man, you know, I'd like to play violin, I think. So when I got into sixth grade, I joined the orchestra there at Highlands Junior High, and I kind of stopped playing piano because I sort of felt like it might be too much to do a bunch of instruments or whatever, and uh, played uh violin there in the orchestra at highlands junior high and then maybe in like eighth grade or summer summer between seventh and eighth i started playing some guitar as well i started really getting into guitar and like heavy metal music and art art rock pink floyd and led zeppelin and just stuff like that right so i started taking yeah i started taking a lot of guitar lessons and then i was still playing violin and guitar when i went to sterling uh, and the the orchestra director there at that time was also the band director, Dennis Eichler. And um, <clears throat> after being a freshman there playing violin in the orchestra at Sterling, uh, he, you know, I, I, I said, hey, I'd like to play in the marching band. And he's like, well, you know, there's not violin in marching band, right? And I said, well, you play saxophone. I was like, teach, teach me to play some saxophone. I'll just just play in the marching band. And so he actually loaned me his sax, his own personal saxophone over the summer and gave me a few lessons. And it wasn't like I was learning to read music for the first time, but it's a new instrument. And uh, I just really took to it very quickly. And he said, well, he's uh, you're making some progress pretty fast. Why don't you take a look at this music that you can try out for the Allstate band, you know? And so I just really really worked on it and i ended up making the texas all-state band after playing saxophone for about six or seven months and so it for me it was kind of a i don't know it, it kind of put it on my radar as something that maybe i had a real aptitude for uh, I, hold on dr lincoln yeah, Lincoln, hold on hold on hold on i i think for the benefit of the listener we need to stop right there you've played saxophone for six or seven months and then made the Texas All-State Band in six or seven months. That's correct. Now, for those of for those of you that don't quite get how unbelievably difficult that is, there's five, sometimes six different auditions. And at the end, whenever you can actually make it into the All-State Band, they only take the first chair 
from that particular area. So you're either number one or you go back home. That's right. And you've only touched this instrument for six to seven months. And you yeah. managed to accomplish that. That's that's right. And and my personal favorite is like, well, I think I have a little bit of aptitude towards it. I, I I did. We I might mean, agree, Dr. Lincoln. Yeah. We might agree. You know, it was like, yeah, you know, maybe maybe I maybe God is trying to send me a, a little secret message here or something like that. Maybe this is something I should really pursue because, uh, you know, up till then, I kind of thought uh, my uncle uh, was an attorney for the DA's office in Harris County for like 30 years. And I kind of thought, well, I'm, I'm going to I'll go to law school or something. I'll do what, what he does. But it was after that experience in the Allstate band, that would have been, I think, 90 or 91. I don't remember the exact year. And then I made again the next year after that. That was when I really decided it's like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to pursue this as a career. I'm going to focus on the saxophone and go get a degree in music ed. I, I had a really a lot of respect for Dennis Eichler, who was the, my high school band director at that time. Um, and it was like, man, you know, I could see myself doing what he was doing for a living, right? And I loved the environment of being around music all day, teaching people music, talking about music, whatever. And so I went to the University of Houston, which, you know, just right down the road at half an hour and um, <clears throat> started there in, in 93 when I graduated from high school. Go Cougs. Go Cougs. <laughs> so I, I have a question. I have a, I have a follow up with that. Yes, sir. It, every band director has that kid that secretly plots to graduate and come back and take their job. <laughs> Were you in fact that kid? I to come back to Sterling, no. I I did not have it, any necessarily plans to do that. I I just thought I would try to get a high school job somewhere, right? Got it. Got it. Yeah, and but as it turned out when I was finishing up at University of Houston, there was a guy in the saxophone section named Woody Witt, who was a very, very good, good saxophone player. And I know Woody. Woody's a great yeah. guy. Great. He's still a great friend of mine. We talk, you know, every couple of months, we just chat and catch up. Um, he, um, he was getting his doctorate degree at U of H. And he said, you know, he, I was about to graduate. And he goes, you know, man, you've really developed a lot as a jazz musician and while you're in school mode before you go get a job somewhere he's like you should go up to north texas i mean it's one of the best jazz programs in the world and it's a it's in-state tuition you just go up there and you can go do that and so i ended up moving up there to denton in 98 right after i got married to my wife who i'm still married to victoria uh, victoria lington we've been married 24 years this past august Congratulations. Oh, That's oh, awesome. Thank you. thank you. And um, so I did a master's degree up there in jazz studies. And then I stuck around. I My saxophone teacher, Jim Riggs, he's like, you know, he's like, you have kind of the temperament and mindset, whatever, like you probably could have some success teaching higher ed if that's something you wanted to do. But to really be competitive, you should probably consider doing a doctorate degree because most schools want that nowadays. So I ended up sticking around there and doing doing that doctorate degree uh, in saxophone performance so it's awesome you know one of the things that um you know i'm really interested in is i'm i'm a goose creek grad myself i'm third generation gander and so i always like to you know we're i'm involved with the district you know as an adult always have been you know my entire career and so i always like to look at the differences of 
you know, the schools of, of when, you know, it's not only just any alumni, but distinguished alumni as well. And so one thing that, um, you know, I want to ask you is how do our schools uh, compare to when you were, you know, what's your, what's your, what was your experience in at Sterling High School, aside just from the music piece? Well, I, I can say that even going back to Highlands Junior High, um, Joe, Joseph Whitehead's love for music was just absolutely infectious. And it, he, he made it a lot of fun. And I, I draw some parallels between him and where I live currently. The local middle school has a really great recognized orchestra here in the Bay Area, in the South, especially in the South Bay, where San Jose is. A uh, guy by the name of Scott Cranin, and he's a similar kind of Pied Piper, like he's just so charismatic and he loves music so much. He just really excites the kids about wanting to do it. And he has this giant orchestra and Joseph Whitehead was a lot like that. And so I just had this great excitement for music of when I went from junior high to high school, there was no doubt in my mind that I wanted to keep doing it whoever the teacher was. I didn't know Dennis Eichler when I started, you know, just went there and whoever teaches, doesn't matter. I'm going to go there and have a good time. And uh, I was fortunate that Dennis Eichler was a guy who also had that same kind of infectious, kind of charismatic um, thing about music of making it fun, but also having really high standards. And he introduced me to a lot of different kinds of music that kind of shaped yeah, kind of shaped the type of music, the type of music that I like, and the type of music that I've really pursued, you know, he, sure. uh, he, yeah, I mean, he would take, you know, like, students in, in the in the band there at Santa at uh, Sterling, that were really, really into music and stuff, he would, he would like take us to go watch concerts and stuff, you know, he'd get our parents permissionist, obviously, but like, Hey, uh, this fantastic jazz guitar player is playing it. There was a club called Rockefeller or like, for example, Chick Corea came through. I remember, you know, very famous jazz pianist passed away a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. There was a club uh, over in the Heights many years ago called Rockefellers. It was sort of like a medium sized venue. And he there were like four or five of us. He's like, man, Chick Corea is like, ask your parents. But, you know, let's go watch Chick Corea. And we all went there and watched it. And then on the way back, what did you think about that? Um, you know, tell me what you, what was your favorite song? Blah, blah, blah. And we talk about music, like real discussions about music. And I, I mean, I would not have gone into this career if it had not been for him. hundred percent. That's awesome to hear. And, you know, I think too, you know, we always, we're trying to give students, uh, you know, when we interview distinguished alumni and when we talk about, you know, people who have graduated from district schools, we always try to give them a, a perspective of this could be you, you know, when you're a sophomore, junior, senior, you're not thinking you're, you know, you're going to have the type of success that you've had or a lot of, you know, other individuals have had in their field. And so, you know, we'd like to give our, our kids like, Hey, this is a guy, he graduated from Sterling and this is what he's accomplished. But on the other side of that, too, you know, um, being in education is difficult. And so for our teachers to realize the impact that they have had on, you know, people in general and the impact that you can have, I think that's just, you know, it's, it's great to hear that someone in Goose Creek CISD shaped your life in that manner. You know, the students are always listening and um, whether they say something to you or not, 
Uh, I, I know that I've experienced that in, in my college teaching job that I've had kids years later repeat back some random thing I said. I didn't even think they were paying attention. Sure. You know? Yeah. No. Amen. But, uh, yeah. But I mean, to the teachers out there, I mean, your your positive um, comments or just positive attitude toward the subject that you're teaching, it, it, it is no hyperbole to just say that it is it is. It's just unbelievably, it, it's just the most important thing that you could have is, I, I'm sort of stammering around here. What am I trying to say? The attitude you have toward the subject matter you're teaching it is very, very important, the, the attitude about it. And if you love it, and if you are expressing this love toward your subject matter, toward your students, and especially finding some of those students that have some interest in it, it the, the ramifications of that are positive and long reaching. And, you know, one thing we've brought up on the podcast is the idea of legacy, or at least a legacy amongst educators, because you always decide how you're going to be remembered because your students are never going to forget you. And and in just telling your story, you've illustrated that beautifully, how you provide those experiences as a as an educator that can mold someone's life for the for the rest of their life. Well, and, and you know, Ray, and, and it's the fact that he... He, Dennis Eichler, and my parents, too, especially, never told me not to do this, right? Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I get the STEM subject push. I do. I get it. Um, but you can, you can have a, a career in the arts. You can do it. I, I've known too many people who have done it. Is it hard? Yeah, it is hard. There are a lot of things that are hard. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. I have only taught, performed, or composed music for a living since I was 17 years old, and I'm 47 years old. Yeah, and I mean, that's why I think, you know, we love finding, you know, individuals like yourself, you know, our mission here is developing the whole child. And so one of the things that we are constantly talking about is what does that look like for each individual kid? It may be STEM, it may be the arts, it may be you know, something completely random, but it's our job as educators to prepare, you know, a kid for whatever they want to pursue. STEM, STEM is great for some, arts are great for some, vocational right. is great for some. Yeah, for sure. And well, it just, it, it's, I, sometimes I feel like that there's a little bit too much emphasis on trying to push everyone into these STEM fields mm -hmm. and it's not, People are going to be miserable if it's not what they want to do. Yeah. And I'll say this, and I think this is a great segue, is for some reason, a lot of people really buy into the idea of that overnight success or, hey, I just I made a song in my bathroom and it went viral. And now all of a sudden I got three million dollars in the bank. You know, your story is one of what uh, I guess I should say us mere mortal musicians deal with is we have to do the work. Yeah. We have to grind it out. We have to do the work and we have to make those things happen. Um, talk a little bit about your feelings on that and just on the process. How do you stay resilient? How do you press forward in the face of the rejection that you, that you get in the entertainment industry? Because you have to meet about 15 to 20 no's before you get one yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you just it, it it's all about, you know, just uh, perseverance and tenacity. 
stick to itiveness. I think I had someone say that word to me one time. You know, the whole idea of, you know, quote unquote, making it or whatever that means exactly. I mean, if you can get lucky and have a huge hit, I mean, great. You know what I mean? I went to school at North Tech when I was at North Texas, Nora Jones was there and she was just a student, you know, and then she moved to New York and ended up having a huge amount of success. Um, there were some guys in Snarky Puppy that were there. That band started when I was there at North Texas, and it's the, sort of the same sort of thing. They had a lot of success, but that's some percentage of a percentage of people that that happens to, right? And it's right. a some it's some weird mixture between talent and luck and being in the right place at the right time, and who who knows what a, other reason goes into why that would happen for somebody. But for the other ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people that are in the arts, it's about fine cobbling together a career, doing different things that you like to do in music. I, I personally, I, I really love teaching. I, you know, I have to admit full disclosure, some of the administrative aspects of my job that I was unaware of when I was hired at the university, I don't like so much, but it's part of the job and you do it. You don't uh, say administrative <laughs> tasks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, uh, but I, I still love teaching. I love working with young kids and I still work with high school age kids all the way up through even teaching adult students uh, from, and my, I mean, adult, like people in their fifties and stuff like that. I'll take lessons from me and stuff. I still really enjoy it. And Aaron, I, do you think, do you think the reason that you enjoy it is because your teachers had such a huge impact on you? Like, 100%. Right. 100%. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like it sounds a little bit cheesy, but especially in this, from the standpoint of jazz, uh, not just saxophone specifically, but jazz, teaching people about jazz, it's like, I feel like I'm helping to continue the cultural legacy of our country. Um, you know, you hear people talk about jazz being kind of the only Amer true, true American art form, and there's, there's a lot of truth to that. And people that are interested in jazz and want to talk to me about how they can improve themselves as a jazz musician, I feel like I'm helping continue some sort of legacy artistic legacy of the united states which to me is real important it makes me feel really good to be able to do that absolutely i mean the most prolific one of the most prolific composers of all time was duke ellington that's right yeah. you know the yeah, most I mean, prolific american composer absolutely absolutely i mean i mean the only way you try to compete with him is you start talking about telemon and that's a whole that's a whole different ball <laughs> yeah, of wax yeah, yeah. sure sure um but you know, you've mentioned that you wear many, many hats, you know, composer, arranger, performer, educator. Um, would you say that teaching gives you the most joy out of all of those roles? You know, all, all three things give me give me joy, Ray, um, but in different ways, I, I would say um, the teaching part of it is being is more like long lived, I guess, in a way, because I you work with a student on something and the I don't want to say reward, but kind of the end goal of it is it's a long, it's a long time away, usually months or years, sometimes even, but, but then when I've seen students I've worked with who have had successes, um, boy, it really makes you feel good. I mean, I have to say, um, you know, I saw a student of mine, I was, I just mentioned, um, or before we started the recording, I mentioned I was up in Denton this last weekend. North Texas had a 75th anniversary of the jazz program, this big event this past weekend. 
and they had asked me to come out and direct the they had alumni bands by decade and um they uh they had asked me to be the one of the directors of the 2000s alumni jazz band and one of my former students from san jose state uh was in the 2010s alumni band because he had gone to north texas on my encouragement to do a master's degree there all the way from california and he came out and he lives out up in dfw now with his wife and you know and he was just talking to me about how he's like man like my, my whole career and everything he's like i owe it to you encouraging me to come out here that's that's the kind of reward about from the teaching standpoint of things right the performance standpoint of things the joy is more immediate obviously you're performing in real time and uh when you play something that you feel I mean, you feel like you did a really good job and you're collaborating with other musicians there's the that joy comes comes from that just the sheer act of making music in the moment and uh from a comp composing standpoint uh there's some longevity there as well there, there's a couple of different aspects of joy that comes with that if i write something and then when i hear it played well the first time it, there's kind of a really neat uh, kind of i don't know i don't know if you want to call it pride or just some sort of like wow yeah really sounds better than I thought or whatever. And so you get kind of excited about that. But then to have people, I mean, years later, um, write me messages or drop me emails about hearing something they really liked, that that's really exciting too. So I, I, I love that aspect of composing music. Yeah, at some point, you know, I used to arrange my own music too uh, when I was a band director. And I have to say, it was always a little nerve wracking the first time you you passed it out and all of a sudden they had to play. It, it is. It's a different level of nerves than picking up your horn and doing something. It's just like, man, I man, hope this doesn't suck. I, I know. I've been doing it forever, man. And the very first time I pass something, I still get butterflies in my stomach. I still Absolutely. do after all these years. And you mentioned alumni. We might know some of the same people. Uh, I have a really good friend that I went to college with. Uh, shout out to McNeese State University, uh, Dr. Justin Pierce. Yeah, I don't know sure. if you know Justin. Yeah, he was, he was yeah. lead for the one o'clock. Yep. Yeah. And I, I remember Justin when he was a freshman and he just came in laying waste everybody, man. Oh, but, yeah. that's, but that's another example of doing the work and what that what that looks like. How does that help? What what does that do for you? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that's that's amazing. So, you know, since you have so much to do and you have to balance so much, how do you go about coping with the stress or or balancing it all? Man, it's all about time management, Ray. You know, it's just kind of having an idea about, you know, sort of like looking at maybe a year and then kind of whittling it down to like, quarters and then months and weeks and then days of just having ideas about what I need to get done, what's coming up and how do I get those things done. And a lot of times it's about chipping away at things and very little bits at a time. I'm in the middle of this big project right now, writing this piece for a six part suite for baritone saxophone and string orchestra. And it's a, it's a lot of music to write. It's a lot of things to do. But if you sit, you know, if you sit down, you're like, oh, man, I have to write this 40 minute piece of music. It's really overwhelming. You know, it's like, how the heck do I get that done? But if you sit down, you're like, well, today I'm going to complete the melody of movement two only. And it's like, well, OK, that's manageable. You know what I mean? Right. And, and you and then you 
and then over the course of you know three four months you look out into the future and it's like yeah you can get the thing done if you if you work on it like that um but it is challenging man i mean i stay you know a full-time teaching job i am real busy as a performer in the bay area i get a lot of commissions for arrangements and compositions from schools and from different people and I have a 14 year old daughter and an 11 year old son, you know, and I'm married, you know, and I'm trying, trying to manage all that stuff. And <laughs> just I, just got a little bit going on, just a little bit. I, I just do the very best I can, man. I, I don't know, I just try to, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I have a great answer for that. Just time management and I just do the very best I can. Well, Everybody it, does it their own way, really. And <laughs> I remember my first orchestration teacher uh, used to tell me, there's nothing more intimidating than staring at a blank piece of manuscript paper. I think there's some truth to that. <laughs> Kendall, I think you had something you wanted to add. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you listed off a lot of things you do. So if you had to pick, what is the most fulfilling thing about what you do? Oh, boy. Um, it's, I, I, it's still those three things. It's those different aspects of those three things. It's not a single thing. Um, from a career standpoint, obviously, it, it's it's that working with a student who is really invested in their education is incredibly fulfilling. Um, being able to play music at a high level with other musicians who love music is incredibly fulfilling. Being able to write music that is then played with care and with mature musicality is really fulfilling. Um, being able to spend time with my kids and my wife is really fulfilling. So there's, I, I can't rank those things. They're all- I think you're saying having a balance of a lot of different, you know, aspects yeah. of your life. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you this question. How do you know Richard Clem? Yeah, so he, um, he came, I'm trying to remember the t exact timeline here. He ended up becoming the assistant director at Sterling High School. Um, I don't remember now that in the haze of the past, if that happened, it was like in 1950. No, I'm, I'm going to mess with him because he's going to listen. He's, he's going to mess with this. You know, he's going to listen. To I'm, it. Yeah. Uh, hi, Mr. Clem. I know I'm going to get a phone call, yeah. but I'm just going to go ahead and mess <laughs> with you. I can't remember if I was still a student there or if it was right after I finished. I think it was after I finished Sterling and he came in. But anyway, I do remember I used to come out and teach some lessons. I guess it was after Sterling. I used to come out from University of Houston and teach some saxophone lessons at Sterling to some of the students there. And I remember him being there. I think he might've been at Gentry first, then he came to Sterling. Anyway, that's how I knew, knew Mr. Clem. Well, the reason I bring this up is, is there's two reasons why we have you on the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, first, of course, is because we want our, our students to be exposed to, to alumni and different experiences. But the second is uh, we run a committee here that honors a giant student, a giant staff member, and a giant alumni every single month. And so we ask, um, you know, our, our students, our staff our community to to nominate and mr clem who's our board school board president he nominated you um oh my gosh. as yeah. our giant alumni of the month and so um you know we have a committee of about 15 people that go through and we're just incredibly imp impressed with your you know accomplishments you're very humble i will say reading through these you know you have a lot of, of recognitions and accomplishments and 
And so we would like for you to add a giant alumni of the oh month gosh. from Goose Creek CISD to your long list of accomplishments. Well, I, I, well, first of all, I'm very honored and I, for, for Mr. Clem to have nominated me, I, I, I really appreciate him doing that. It's very, very sweet of him to do that. I did not know he was a school board president. Yeah, Holy he's our president Lord. of school board. He's incredible. <laughs> he's such a great guy. I remember him being a trumpet player. I wonder if he still plays trumpet anymore. He does a little bit, just yeah, a little bit. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna call him Ricky because I I just remember calling him Ricky. So Ricky, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. I'm very humbled and very honored. Thank you. Yeah. Well, congratulations again, Aaron. You know, it's an honor to have you on. Um, but now that we've gotten the big reveal out of the way, now we get to <laughs> now we get to the spicy stuff. So oh. we're gonna get a little bit in your business, Aaron. So we right. said what the most fulfilling thing that you do is, and of course you've got a fulfilling experience with being the giant alumnus of the month now. So you should be fulfilled for at least six months straight. I'm, I'm you're, you're good to go. You're I'm fully to, fulfilled. I'm fully fulfilled. That's, yeah. right. That's a whole lot well, of Mr. Levan, He also told me that and he said on the podcast that he just got back from UNT and, and when we originally spoke, you, you talked about uh, being inducted into the UNT distinguished alumni um didn't you do that this past weekend wasn't that a distinguished alumni event that was it was just an alumni event yeah but but i but i had been asked specifically to be one of the there were probably oh gosh i don't know 150 maybe 200 alumni there going all the way back to the early 1960s and i was one of the ones that was asked to be to be sort of one of the leaders of all the ensembles that were going on so it, it was a big honor to be asked to do that yeah, I thought I thought to myself, wow, and then the next week he's going to hear about uh, <laughs> taking it back a little bit further for. That's right. Know. Oh, I love it. That's yeah. I, I'm really honored. Thank you. Yeah, it was just UNT was just a warm up. This is the real deal. That's, that's yeah, right. this, this is the big thing that's going <laughs> this on. This is where it all started. That's right. Absolutely. So we talked about the good. So what do you find to be the most frustrating thing about what you do? Oh, boy. The most frustrating thing that you can say and keep your job. No, 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 totally. Um, you know, my, I wish the arts were valued more and that, that goes absolutely across the board, uh, from the teaching standpoint, the performing standpoint, the composition standpoint. Um, I mean, I, I know it sounds kind of like a little bit whiny. I wish it was, you know appreciated more and valued more but i do wish that and that is a frustrating thing to me that i think sometimes it gets put on the back burner i think it gets taken for granted and um you know i schools want to be well-rounded they anytime one of the ensembles or a, a you know music group does something amazing they always put it on the pr look what we're doing but then are they always putting their money where their mouth is some schools yeah a lot of schools no that's frustrating to me um you know from the standpoint of performing and and composing music again i think a lot of people take it for granted they don't want to they don't want to support it they don't want to pay for it there's this expectation of free and it's like man if it's free for too long it's gonna go away you know what i mean so that's a that's a frustration for me. I don't know the answer of how to make that better. I wish I did. If I did, I'd 
I'd, I'd be a hero. <laughs> well, you'd be a very rich man uh, yeah. on, on top of that. I mean, it's but that's part of the that is absolutely part of the the purpose of this particular podcast here at the Arts Effect is, you know, we're just purely based in the fine arts and wanting to get that advocacy and awareness out of not just what it is that we do, how do we do it and how it affects everyone else. Yeah. Uh, therefore, the Arts Effect. So, uh, again, we're just happy to have you. So now we're come to the fun portion. Let's do it. Now we have rapid fire questions. I love it. And and Ms. David, if you feel like you want to chime in just for the heck of it, you, you knock right. yourself out. Whenever you want to jump in, you just jump in. So we're going to go for about 10 of these. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are my answers supposed to be like real short or what's the deal? Uh, you can answer however you feel appropriate. Okay, great. All right, here we go. Getting ready. First one. If you were in charge of the office vending machine, what three items would you have to have stocked in it? Oh, man. Um, let's see. Diet oh, oh. Co- yeah, Diet Coke, okay. beef, jer- beef jerky, and uh, uh, chili lime salted almonds. That is a lot of flavor. Oh, yeah. But Diet Coke, because you have to balance out the junk food. Yeah, yeah got it. It has. You have to have a Diet Coke. <laughs> You have yeah, to have it, a Diet Coke. It, it, it's a zero-sum game. You know, you eat all the nuts and drink a Diet Coke, and then it's zero. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, isn't, that how, isn't that how it works? I think so. Yeah, I think that's how it works. I think that's how it works. Okay, go-to drink in the morning. Coffee. Okay. Black black coffee. Wow. that Now, that's gangster. Oh, yeah. that's, that's, that's serious business right Not there. Not even sugar? No, no sugar, no nothing? As black as moonlight, as midnight on a moonless night. What is your preferred type of coffee? Like, what's your brand? Oh, man, I don't know. My wife orders it. It's an espresso machine. I just pop the pot in there and push the button. That's it's whatever. So oh. you're, you're, you're not drinking black coffee. You're drinking espresso. It, well, no, it's it's ne- the brand is Nespresso. Nespresso. Yeah, yeah that's espresso. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, well, yeah. that's definitely espresso. I, I guess so. So just, but that's the mark of a real musician because we hey, got to stay we've awake. We've been talking about how his success the entire time, and we really could just cut it off at that. He just yeah. is drinking straight up espresso. Main line. Tell, hey, I'll tell you, I don't mean to interrupt the rapid fire question, but I'll tell you when I started drinking coffee was my last year at University of Houston doing my student teaching. I would be gigging till one in the morning, one thirty in the morning, like on a Sunday night or whatever. And I'd get back to the dorms two in the morning, two fifteen, take a shower, fall asleep. I would have to be at the school with doing my student teaching six thirty a.m. And this went. I mean, this goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks, right? And uh, boy, that's when I started drinking coffee. Yeah, I, I bet you did. And now at this age, we'd probably end up in the hospital if we tried to I, do something like that. Yeah, probably so. Okay, so if you could have a private jam session with anyone, we'll say dead or alive, who would that be? Does it matter what style of music? Does not matter at all. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Private jam session, dead or alive. Okay, I'll make I'll take it easy on you. That's you that's, get, that's with that's three people. Question. You can get with three. Three people. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to say Mel Lewis on drums, Ron Carter on bass, and Bill Evans on the piano. That is and, incredibly strong. And then me on saxophone. That'd be a that would be a, a a wish list jam session right there from a jazz standpoint. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, just now, let's just try it like this. Just three people. Don't make a band. Just three people you'd love to have. Just be able to get up there and just jam out with. Oh, man. God, somebody like Willie Nelson. Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, you know, guitar player. Got you. Got you. One more. Oh, oh God, man. And then like the whole band Eagles, the Eagles. <laughs> That's not a specific person. <laughs> That's all right. We'll take it. We'll take it. We will take it. Who's someone you'd like to trade places with for a day? Whew. Man, these are hard, man. Trade places with, you know what? My wife. <laughs> That's solid. Hey, that's that's, that's, that's really solid. Twenty six years. There right? you go. Right there. Take some notes. She does a lot. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Okay. So, what do you hate about the internet? The constant attention grabbing that it that it inflicts on us. It, it is an unbelievable tool, but man the marketing people have have made it really um a dangerous tool hey 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 don't come for the marketing people okay well i'm just talking about the people selling that's the constant bombardment of selling people stuff and just keeping your attention yeah uh it uh, it affects everybody i mean it affects everybody i think i I have I have found with my own students currently. I don't know if y'all are y'all are seeing this, but just the ability for people to focus on a single task for a, a time period long enough to actually accomplish something has diminished. I think it's my observation and opinion only, but I really think that that's connected to the constant faces on devices. Well, and I think one one of the things that you you know were mentioned earlier, and I thought in my head um, when you talk about you know uh, people don't appreciate the the work and how long it takes and and what you have to do to get to certain places. I think that's another um, issue that we have with you know the the phones and the constant. You just see the end product; um, right. it's glorified and it, it it's so quick. You know, we're always moving on to the next thing. We're not really we're not really discovering how you got there. You're just seeing a constant overload of, you know, content of what you want to see. Right. Yep. yep. So yep. speaking of which, do you play any games on your smartphone? I do not. Look at you. You I don't do play not. Wordle? No. Um, I, <laughs> I, I will say, now I will say full disclosure. I did play not on my phone. That I did play World of Warcraft for a long period of time. I love that game, <laughs> but it when I had kids, I had to stop. It, you know, I mean, it was like, yeah, it takes up too much time. It takes up too much time. Yes, you you really got sucked in. I can tell. Oh man, that game was fun. Well, you so, know, you get, a bunch, you get a bunch of buddies that all play it, and it becomes like a social thing. Social, you know I mean? yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Um, anyway but uh yeah i i do like games but man i just don't have time i don't know yeah so computer games if you could pick one gadget from any superhero to own what would it be oh one gadget from any superhero oh man i don't you know this is gonna be a lame a lame answer because i don't 
I love movies and my kids watch all those superhero movies. I don't watch those so much. I'm not aware of a lot of those devices. Um, although I guess like one of the, this is not really a superhero thing, but that one device on the Harry Potter movie where Hermione was able to like turn back the time a little bit and sort of get more stuff done. Well, I tell you with my lifestyle, that would come yeah. in real handy. You, you would have a lot of practice time if you managed to do that. I, I would. I'd have to put start putting more coffee down my gullet. But uh. yeah. <laughs> okay, two more. What's something that you keep on your desk or your workspace that boosts your mood? Boosts my mood. Well, as a matter of fact, where where is that thing? It's sit sitting around here somewhere. <laughs> I have a little thing that says. Oh yeah, it's right here. It says. Well, I know you're, this is going to be audio only, but what it says, it says talent is, is cheaper than table salt. What separates the talented individual from the successful one is a lot of hard work. And it sits right on my desk and it stares at me. Love it. That's fantastic. One more. Yep. This, is, this is less rapid fire, but this is more a realistic it, question. That's a Stephen King quote, by the way. Nice. Interestingly enough. If you had to do it all over again. Would you do it any differently? No, I don't have any regrets, man. Uh, I mean, I've definitely made a lot of mistakes personally and professionally, um, but every mistake or success has brought me to October 24th, 1.50 p.m. where I'm sitting here talking to y'all. So no regrets, nothing different. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, that's about it, everybody. We'd like to thank uh, Dr. Aaron Lincoln for joining us today on the Artifact Podcast. Also, the world-renowned and internationally known Kendall David, Director of Marketing and Community Engagement. It's been an honor. I've had to, you know, weasel my way on this podcast finally. So Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I expect that uh, that envelope of money uh, after we're done, just, whenever, uh -huh. just yeah. whenever you have that together. But hey, hey I'll, I'll, that will pay out as long as everyone who's listening Listening to this podcast also listens to the Geek's Cult. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so rate us, review us, uh, give us five stars. If you give us four stars, then that might mean you might be a hater. I don't know. But uh, be sure to give us five stars. We appreciate you coming out, and we will check you out on the very next episode. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Kendall.